This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You know, they say that social media is taking over the world. But this week, RuPaul's Drag Race is going to take over the whole internet. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Daisy Rosario, and you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. Hello and welcome back, Daisy. What is this, back-to-back appearances? We get a double feature? Ooh, yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, as you have rightfully pointed out before, I would be here either way, but it is (laughs) nice to be here with the mic in my hands, so... (laughs) It is funny that it's just like, and Daisy is here on mic, but she's always here, both in our spirits and actually on the Zoom call. Like on she's the Zoom, here, lording mm-hmm. over you, staring. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. So I am always excited to have you here, but I am especially excited because um, today I watched the first episode of season 15 of RuPaul's Drag Race, and I need to discuss it with you because you are a scholar of Drag Race, like a PhD. I'm like bursting over here, yeah. (laughs) When did you first start scholaring? When did the scholarship begin? Well, my love of RuPaul's Drag Race began before the show even aired as soon as I saw posters for it when it was going to be a logo series and I would see the subway posters in New York City. Um, Subway posters! I know! I loved them. I also, you know, I grew up watching some drag. I am queer. I'm also the right age where it's like, I do remember when RuPaul had their first single and like that was the song on MTV and you would actually see the like supermodel of the world video and I remember when RuPaul like held... Kurt Cobain's baby at like one of the Lollapaloozas what? or something like that. Like, yeah, like early 90s RuPaul, like before the comeback, if you will. But yeah, I've been watching the show since it started. Um, drag in general is something I love. And I even did, I think, probably one of the first stories to air on like NPR stations about drag race back when I was working on a show a few years ago, years ago, many years ago at this point. So I've always loved it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, then, as I must ask any hardcore fan about their favorite thing, what is your favorite season and who is your favorite queen? Oh, man. Favorite queen. I mean, I've had different favorites over the years. I think my most more recent favorite queen is Jada Essence Hall, who is the winner Mm -hmm. of season 12 and pretty relevant to some of what we'll be talking about today. She won her crown on zoom essentially (laughs) yeah yeah we will be getting into the uh what the pandemic brought to rupaul's drag race but even i as a um a neophyte to drag race am aware of jada essence hall iconic i love her but so we're talking about season 15 today I, as I said, am a bit of a novice, but watching this first episode of season 15, there's this really interesting divide I noticed between the season's queens where there are a lot of queens who got their start primarily online during the pandemic 
and are TikTok famous. And that's juxtaposed against queens who have like 10 to 20 years of IRL performance experience. Yeah. And I'm really curious as someone who has watched every season, how does that stack up to previous seasons? Yeah. So as a longtime viewer who's seen all of the show pretty much, um, that tension has existed for a little while in the sense that like social media has been around and there have been Instagram queens and things like that. Um, But what you're describing, I think, is something that I noticed as well and that felt very different to me in this premiere. Um, You know, the kind of the space between, okay, are you like really a performer? Are you an online person has been in tension for quite a while. Um, But it was also the way that they were talking about it. Like this just felt very, I don't want to say like post pandemic, because I also have, you know, illnesses and stuff. But it just felt much more like they were being honest about all of the things around it that impacted why these things are are in tension with each other. You know, it's not just, hey, are you online? And I'm a real performer. It's like, hey, some of us started during a pandemic. And this was the only option we had. So that reality of it and being understanding of that felt fresh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like we're post-pandemic, like we're post-racial and that right. <laughs> things have things have definitely changed. However, <laughs> and the way reality television, especially reality television that has been around as long as RuPaul's Drag Race responds to the internet is one of like my favorite topics because the relationship is always so tense, even as yeah. they both need each other. And so... That is what today's episode is all about. Dr. Daisy Rosario will be taking me and all of y'all to Drag Race Academy and ultimately show how the pandemic allowed Drag Race to finally embrace the internet. not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. 
Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. And we're back. I've got my pencil and paper ready. And by pencil and paper, I mean my laptop because I haven't taken physical notes on a piece of paper in years. <laughs> I don't even know what my handwriting looks like at this point. But I'm sat and I'm ready. <laughs> Before we get into the syllabus, I think we've got to set the stage. As I said before the break, reality television has had a, I'll diplomatically say, interesting relationship with the internet. It's definitely a symbiotic relationship in that at this point, they both need and benefit from each other, but it is not a match made in paradise by any means. Most reality television shows started when the internet existed, but they had not started by the time social media became as ingrained into our life as it has today. And producers and contestants now have instant feedback of everything that's happening. And whether they and how they respond to that feedback has uh, really provided some very fascinating moments on yeah. shows like <laughs> The Bachelor yeah. or Real Housewives yes. where there are these kind of enduring institutions at this point, yeah. but they're having to respond in a way they never had before. And RuPaul's Drag Race is no exception. So, Daisy, can you give us a little historical overview of Drag Race's relationship with the internet, which is, I'm realizing, one of the biggest questions I've ever asked anyone on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I think for me, this is an easier question than whether or not Jesus is canonically hot. But like, that's just because for me, like, this is my specialty. Um, And it doesn't bring up any Catholic guilt for me. So um, I think the first thing to know in general about Drag Race is that it's RuPaul's Drag Race, and RuPaul is nothing if not someone that is very happy to sell any of their stuff. Like, you know, (laughs) the show itself is very happy to like embrace the hashtags. And there's a moment every single episode where Rue's like, hashtag drag race. 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 RuPaul has marketed like everything on this show since the beginning, right? So like RuPaul Mm. also has music. The songs that RuPaul has have been the songs that they would perform on the show. And then it would be like back when you would say iTunes, like that was the thing. It'd be like now available on iTunes. Right. And then RuPaul was selling chocolate bars. It's chocolate. Like RuPaul is nothing if not a capitalist. (laughs) We're not. I'm saying that because it's true, but we're not going to go down that rabbit hole separately. I mean, we don't need to get into the fracking of it all. (laughs) But um But yeah, I mean, like in that sense, like RuPaul is a a shameless self-promoter and I don't even I don't say that with any malice. It just is the the correct way to describe them. Um, And so, yeah, Ru has always, you know, used the hashtags and you could see over the years, like a lot of shows, like a lot of media in general, right? You're figuring out how to engage with your audience using these things. Mm -hmm. So at first it was a lot of it was just promoting the things you could buy on iTunes or things like that. Over time it became, you know, hashtag, you know, who you want to win. And there was both Mm. the kind of like, here are these people all season, but then, okay, now we're down to the final three. So like really hashtag, like who you want to win the crown, but always in a way that felt like, Okay, this doesn't like technically count, but you know that they're trying to get a formal sense on the pulse of like who is the actual 
most popular or who's really popular. Because in the early days of the show, I mean, yeah, you didn't even have Instagram being what it is. You didn't really have mm. any particular place where you could just look at follower count and understand mm. for sure, like who had a really big following, which is yeah. true now. And then as you get to around season nine, where there was a shift where like the fans were actually being given the chance to vote on miscongeniality, right? Which is like oh. a term that comes from pageant world. And it's like somebody mm-hmm. who didn't win, but was so nice. And <laughs> You know, and then in season nine, they switched to an online poll at logotv.com because it was still on logo at the time. And then they announced the winner of Miss Congeniality on the reunion, which, you know, for a reality show, it still just felt like you could see that World of Wonder, the production company behind the show, seemed very surprised by the reaction of the queens to the announcement. Is it fan favorite or is it congeniality? If it's, it's fan, fan favorite, favorite, then I guess fan she deserves favorite. it. Right. Then we should call it's it fan, fan favorite. favorite. But congeniality, I just don't see it. Yeah, fan favorite. Congratulations, everyone. Let's make a round of applause for fan favorite. Oh, we're yeah, fan, favorite. fan favorite. Yes, fan favorite. Miss fan favorite. Yes, fan favorite. <laughs> that is one thing that struck me as I was watching this, the premiere of season 15 is... Drag queens have perfected dragging people. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in a way, in in a way that is just a beauty to behold. Yes. And it also strikes me as as we were talking about one of the moments where RuPaul's Drag Race did not quite understand how to leverage their relationship with the internet and in that they obviously want to harness the power of their fans who are live tweeting, which is I think. One of the mechanisms that most reality television shows really started to realize how big online fandom was. Oh, absolutely. And so they're like, okay, cool. We'll let the fans vote. We'll we'll you we'll get some engagement. We'll get even more engagement and that'll be great for all of us. And we'll institute this new thing and everybody will love it. And everyone did not love it. No. <laughs> No, they didn't. And that's the that's part of why I like I call it like this mutiny, because it's like you could just see the confusion on people's faces and like they didn't expect it to go this way. And it's also the point at which as a fan, both somebody who's been watching the show this whole time and who has been following, you know, various things online about the show at that point, like it definitely felt like the point at which the level of the fandom and the way the fandom was actually existing online started to kind of like cut through and the fact that it was like, okay, the queen who was voted Miss Congeniality, a.k.a. fan favorite, was very talented. But even watching their season, I wouldn't say that the fact that other people didn't always love working with them was a it was it's not like that was a complete secret either. Right. Mm-hmm. So kind of like seeing how hardcore fandoms would get behind certain people, kind of regardless of how the show was editing them. We're, we're talking about a queen named Valentina. They didn't receive like a, a full on villain edit, but yeah, they didn't really hide much (laughs) about them either. And so, yeah, I think that definitely seemed to be like a reality check for them, for the show in terms of the way that things were playing out online and how that's gonna affect the way these queens interact with each other in real life as well. Because they, I mean, this is the kind of show that, you know, when they finish on the show, they go on a tour together, right? Like, oh, (laughs) That's the thing. If you if you win this show or if you just do well, like you're going to spend the next many years performing in the same clubs with these people. So I think even more yeah. than certain other reality shows, these people's relationship 
the contestants on this show, the queens on the show, their relationships to each other are even more entangled, I think, than a lot of other reality shows, whether it's dating shows even or, you know, those oh, people yeah. have an intense period of time and a few of them obviously <laughs> go off together, but they're not necessarily going to be colleagues in different cities around the world for years on yeah. end. So we have this fan favorite moment from season nine. Yeah. We are currently in season 15, which yes. <laughs> a lot of internet has happened between nine and 15. But is yeah. there anything else that you can remember that you're like, the show is, it's trying. Like, you know, yeah. she's trying, but is she succeeding? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but she's trying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in general, I would say like you definitely saw as Instagram itself got bigger that there were more, you know, kind of quote unquote Instagram queens, right? Yes, I've heard of that. I'm assuming that's different just from a queen who has an Instagram because I'm assuming most of these queens have Instagrams. Like you have right. to in this day and age. Yeah. And I think like a lot of a lot of us have an Instagram, but not everybody yes. makes it like the focus of what they do. Right. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if, if you were calling somebody an Instagram queen, it largely meant that like they were building a really big following online they probably didn't actually perform very much their Mm. actual like what they were known for were looks that were definitely like photographic looks not necessarily Mm -hmm. that you would go see them someplace and for better and for worse that would become a storyline for some of the people over the next couple of years was like are you just a instagram queen you know and sometimes it was that they were more talented sometimes it was just that they had to learn to adjust to like not having full control of the lighting that they would be under, things like mm. that, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it definitely started to feel more like a push-pull of like, you could see that the world of wonder people were like definitely hearing some of the things that you would see online in that haphazard way where it felt like, okay, you guys got this note, but you didn't get that note. Like it just was, mm-hmm. it just became more of like, they're online versus they're not, except we all are also online because yes, we all have no, to be. exactly. Like, mm-hmm. It reminds me of kind of the difference between like Instagram models and actual runway models in that there's right. a skill and an art to walking on a runway. And oh my then God, yes. you have people who are used to posing on Instagram, which is also a skill, but it also, is, but it's a different thing. Yeah. And you have so much more control over yes. what you're doing online. So you saw that a lot for like the last few seasons. And then when we got to All Stars 7, They did a TikTok challenge, essentially, but like without saying TikTok. They were like, you have to do a challenge (laughs) where you come up with a brief dance and you explain why you have this dance. But the dance has to be something replicable. Like it was just so very clearly a TikTok challenge. Yeah, there's no other reason you would need to do that. (laughs) Yeah, they called it a social media dance challenge. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Just say TikTok. We all know what you're talking about. Step one, shimmy on into that PB. Scoop it, slap it, and pull. Step two, just repeat everything you just did. Step three is spread, spread, spread. Now you're gonna put that knife down, grab the bread, slap it down, and you're ready to munchie. Because if your kid wants a snack, (laughs) he can get a goddamn job! Okay, that's made even funnier by the fact that the way they had the screen set up is they had the sound going along the bottom in the exact same way TikTok sounds look on the interface. So why are we pretending this is not TikTok? 
<laughs> I know. I, I'm sure, like, you know, they probably tried to have a meeting and nobody got an official okay on using the name or something. And they were like, well, not yet. Like, we want sponsorship. Who knows? But yes, like, they do this challenge. And it's funny because there's a lot of also added stuff to the challenge. Like, it definitely feels like they're like, you have to do a TikTok video, but first you have to do like three minutes of stuff that we would understand as being a challenge on this show. <laughs> and then we're just going to cut to making it look like it's already on TikTok. Like everything about it was just weird because we all knew what it was. And we were like, OK. But yeah, I mean, basically like having that TikTok challenge in All Star 7 really felt like you were watching them try to figure out how to work with this other part of it. You know, there's a mm. lot of what they already do on the show as these challenges because they make them do all these different talent type things, right? Like you have mm -hmm. to host an interview or you have to host a morning show or, you know, things like that. There's a lot of that that actually already translates well to YouTube, for example, right? Because mm -hmm. people can do their own interview shows on YouTube and or skits and things like that. So there's some of that that already translates onto parts of the internet really well. But, you know, as much as I love YouTube, it is different than obviously the way that we use Twitter or the way that you use Instagram. Like all these things have their places. And you could see that the show and the producers were grappling with how to both like make themselves more marketable on these platforms. Mm -hmm. And like, how do you include this when it's becoming part of the community, but you want to continue to have control over your show and the stories that you're telling with your show? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like the moment a lot of reality television shows realize that they have to start responding to the internet because I feel like a lot of them would love to operate in a vacuum without the internet given the opportunity but it, it's when there's show drama that causes fandom drama that then causes show drama that then mm -hmm. causes fandom drama in this endless Ouroboros. There That's you the go. first one of 2023. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming Drag Race also has this where we're seeing the internet's influence in how the show is attempting to deal with the discourse that the show is creating online. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in season 10, you kind of had like this situation where, you know, if you know the history of drag and like where drag actually comes from, like, mm. you know, trans, black and Latino women are really mm. who helped make drag what it is. And but if you looked at the show, the show itself, mm -hmm. made by queer people, was still not letting trans people really be, you know, fully out or acknowledge it. You had a lot of queens that would kind of come out as trans after, but they weren't really mm -hmm. like trans actively on the show or didn't feel comfortable talking about it. And that's also as these groups are becoming more outspoken on social media and we're hearing more of their voices to begin with. And then mm -hmm. in season 10, you have a queen named the Vixen, who's a black queen, who's like calling out the fact that the fans are way more abusive to the black queens. And oh. also the show is n not really rewarding them when they do well with fans. Like, so they're kind of getting mm. it in both directions. And it became a really another kind of wonderfully awkward reunion moment. A lot of people actually gave the Vixen a lot of flack. I was very like, that's really interesting and brave for you to like, just say stuff right to RuPaul's yeah. face. Like good for you. Um, but then you, but then you could see them actually have to deal with that and digest it. Even though people didn't like that. The Vixen said it like the next bunch of winners and the next bunch of seasons had these incredible black Queens who, you know, I mean, the mm -hmm. ones that came before them were incredible as well, but they came 
like hungry and proud of who they were and like very aware that it was their time to like say something more. And so like all of us, right. But that makes sense. 2020, there's protests everywhere. There's all of this stuff. Like it is the same stuff that we're going through, but in a way where you can actually kind of look at it and feel removed from it for a moment and go like, Oh, you know, what's happening here. Yes, yes. I think reality television's tendency to want to posit itself as escapism does not really mesh well with the world as it exists. Because uh, you yeah. can't can't escape that. I feel like we've gotten an incredibly thorough breakdown of what has led us up to the current season. Except um, we haven't really mentioned this thing. I don't know if you heard about it. A pandemic? Did you? There was a oh. pandemic. Yeah, I forgot for a minute. Totally forgot for a minute. Um, (laughs) After the break, we're going to talk more about Drag Race's response to the pandemic and how it might have actually ultimately allowed the show to grow. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Hi, y'all. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening to ICYMI, then a welcome. We are thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, that's what ICYMI stands for. Also, our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You are currently listening to the Saturday episode. So if you want to listen to this past Wednesday's episode, you will learn all about an aesthetic called core core, which is just the word core twice. The influencer, Alex Earl, and we will also be answering the question of whether Greta Thunberg really did lead to Andrew Tate's downfall. You don't want to miss it. And we're back with the pandemic. The pandemic (laughs) is in the room with us right now. It's always here. It's all around (laughs) us right now. The pandemic changed a lot of things. The supply chain, an election, my mental health. 
<laughs> and those things include reality television. So you mentioned before the break that the first pandemic season of Drag Race, which had started filming in 2019, ended filming in 2020, the year of our discontent. <laughs> the, it ended with performances over Zoom, which was a real innovation in the show. It, there's a really funny way, and by funny, I mean... I don't ever think we're going to be able to reckon with this right now because we're still in the middle of it. But this massive change in our lives also forced some real innovation in a lot of formats that had gotten really stale. And I'm wondering if that's what this Zoom season of Drag Race felt like, if it had felt like we're we're getting into a bit of a rut and this spiced things up. That's how it felt for me personally as a viewer. I mean, obviously not all viewers felt that way, but, you know, I really did feel like they showed a lot of creativity. But yeah, for all of that kind of interesting creativity, it definitely felt like Drag Race then tried to act like that didn't happen. And we're like, okay, here's just more of what you like, but also a worse version of it. And that's the next season. season And that's the next season. Yeah. So season 13, I just like, I couldn't even finish it. It's the only season I haven't finished it felt like, why Why would we do this boring thing when we've already learned something a little bit better? And also, I do want to be outside. Please stop just forcing <laughs> poorly edited episodes onto me just because you know I'm stuck inside. How dare. Truly. So there's a season between, you know, season 13 and 15 because that's how numbers work. But yeah. I feel like I haven't heard any anything about season four. Did it exist? I mean, yeah, it existed because we're on season was, 15. It was, <laughs> cool it was I mean the ta- the the queens themselves very talented I love the winner who is a queen named Willow Pill but yeah it just it it just kind of still had this vibe of like you haven't fully committed to it and you're trying to kind of still make some of the old things work but like we're we're past that now like we're just in a different spot with it yeah yeah which brings us to season 15 which you and our producer Daniel Schrader who's also a huge fan of Drag Race both have agreed feels like a breath of fresh air in that it's fully mentioning the pandemic and in that there's this a divide of the queens of the the baby queens from everybody else but yeah there's also a, a almost acceptance of the divide of people mm-hmm. who don't have as much performance experience that it seems like wasn't really there before and that now there's an excuse for lack of performance experience which is the thing we talked about, the pandemic that happened. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, that to me is part of what is so interesting about it is just that I was like a lot of fans was getting fatigued with the show. I love the show, mm-hmm. but I more was like, I know I'm going to end up watching at least an episode because I like to go to my favorite, you know, gay bar in DC and watch and cool. Um, but watching it, I actually found myself really riveted and pulled in in a way I had not been in part because it did feel so reflective of the reality of that divide. I mean, they have moments where, you know, there are these two very famous TikTok queens named Sugar and Spice. Mm-hmm. They're twins. They're real life twins. Yes. They're on the show. I'm Sugar. And I'm Spice. And we're the dolls that, that came, came to life. You might know us as a duo on TikTok, but here we're each sold separately and we're competing against each other. So bye, <laughs> get out of my frame. <laughs> And honestly, with the way that things start off in the episode, like it very much feels for a few minutes like, oh, they're going to get the villain edit and everybody's going to make fun of them not actually being that talented. And that's not where everything goes. Like later in in the show, there's like a really interesting conversation with them, you know, kind of acknowledging like, yes, we don't have as much performance 
experience in front of people. But we started during a pandemic. Like, it is all we could do. And kind of even acknowledging, like, yeah, you know, like, being online is something you have to be for your marketing purposes. It doesn't mean that you Mm -hmm. only have to be good at this part of things. And it just showed, like, a real, I think, empathy for the place that all of these performers are existing in. Because let's be real, like, all of their stuff dried up. So to have them really talking about that um, in a way that felt so honest, but still be kind of this fun part of the show I love, felt like, wow, okay, you guys are finally getting it. Like, you're finally seeing where people are actually coming from and kind of dealing with this in an honest way. Because that's the thing, being on TikTok is being a performer. Yes, yes. I think more than any other social media app that we've seen besides YouTube, TikTok as a medium demands so much production value. Yes. Every single day I am on TikTok, I am stunned by the level of talent that I see by yes. just the average user. Like, I do not understand, and I have watched many videos about how these transitions work, and I'm still like, I, it's not going to work for me, but I, I'm really impressed when everyone else does it. Yeah. And so this divide that we're seeing in the contestants for the season of Drag Race, it's like there's a level of skepticism that seems to exist like when everyone's first in the room and that (laughs) when Sugar and Spice come in, they're like, oh, have you heard of us? (laughs) And one of the other queens (laughs) is like, no. Did any of y'all recognize us from TikTok? I did, yeah. No. No. (laughs) I do know them, but I'm not gonna give them the satisfaction that I do. Never heard of you, baby. To which I yep. was like, I love it. Keep keep it, keep it. But there is like, in previous seasons, it seems like queens who mostly had their following online and didn't have as much performance experience were like really kind of looked down where it's like, you don't really mm-hmm. understand like drag as an mm-hmm. art form. But because of the fact that we all experienced the pandemic and all performers saw what happened to performance during the pandemic, it's... There's like a a relaxing almost of that immediate judgment. Like it it provides a justification for less performance experience. And in this way makes the conversation so much more interesting in a way where it's like, okay, yeah, we can all acknowledge that she has 20 years of performance experience and she has like one Mm -hmm. and (laughs) we're all here in this room. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Even from early seasons, they've always had queens on who maybe were less experienced, just younger baby queens. You know, maybe they had a big personality, but they'd only been doing it for a year. And some of the tension would always just come from the natural kind of like less experienced, more experienced. Like, is the older person's experience going to get them through or will this young person's chutzpah be enough to take them (laughs) to the top? You know what I mean? The eternal battle. The eternal battle. But this just felt so much more honest about kind of where we all are. And yeah. That's the thing. I mean, you know, TikTok, again, it is a skill. I mean, I I studied film just before digital editing became popular. I literally need to take a class to understand how to use those TikTok edit functions. Like, it is a skill. It's just a different skill. And so it just felt like a much more honest look at the fact that these things are not just intention because, like, it's a competition. They're intention. They are intention because things change and shift and we have to deal with that. Yeah, it's one of the, I don't want to say a few times, honestly, I'm a band. It's one of the few times where I've seen the pandemic actually create a sense of empathy. Yeah. And I love that. (laughs) 
Like, I wish it would happen more often. I know. Because it, it starts from this shared experience of, oh, yeah, you know what? It does make sense, obviously. I saw my performances dry up. If you want to get started in 2020 as a drag queen, what else are you going to do but be online? Like, of course, that makes sense to me. I get it. And do I wish that we didn't have to share experiences to consider them valid? Yes. Yes. But but am I glad that in this case, the shared experience, shared trauma (laughs) has made this division feel less like a division and more just like a difference that is being respected? I'm happy for it. Happy to see it. Yeah. I mean, I think... Like, even as you said that, honestly, it it just kind of shocked me because I think that is part of it is like the this thing that we know should have brought forth so much empathy didn't bring forth as much as you as we wanted. I I think, you know, there's plenty of people, me included, other people I know who have tried to have as much of that in our general life as we can throughout this process. But the fact that there wasn't any, you know, big overarching actual tribute to so many people have been lost or so many people who have been disabled by this pandemic and things like that. It's what feels special in and of itself is just the fact that it's even having empathy for the entire reality that it exists in. Yeah. And I mean, if we can't look at the cultural things that we like and draw deeper connections to them in a overly thought out way, then (laughs) why are we at slate? (laughs) You know, so. (laughs) So true. Why would we be in Slate if we couldn't overthink (laughs) a piece of pop culture? I love it. I can't believe they paid me to do this. All right, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It's the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss um, a deep analysis of pop culture. Please leave a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYM underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions or suggestions for other pop culture that we should overanalyze. And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton with help from C.R. Spragley-Ricks. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer. Yeah. And Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. She's also a massive drag race fan. See you online. Or in the Interior Illusions Lounge. Deep cut. I get to the top of that hill and I'm like. <sighs> so it was hilling you. Oh my Shut God. up, Daniel. <laughs> You just wanted us to stop talking about this, and that's fair. (laughs) Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.